We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Aguero! Hello, coaches. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. A big, big topic today. Youth sport, decision-making, and creativity. Two of the biggest, biggest challenges when we go out and we design our sessions. So we're joined by Jack Rolfe who's the founder of The Coaching Lab. Some really, really innovative work that you're going to love here. Some ideas around helping young players to create the experience, challenging them in the experience, and then supporting them around the experience. Absolutely brilliant insight. Jack has sponsored the podcast as well. So please, please go ahead, check it out, thecoachinglab.org. I think you're going to love this discussion. I think you're going to love where it goes. And I think you're going to want to find out a little bit more about what he's doing at the youth levels in the sporting world. All right, here we go. Enjoy. Jack, thank you so much for joining us today for the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Really, really excited to have you on. Gary, thanks very much. It's cool to be on the other side. I'm a listener every time it comes out. So, it's yeah, it's cool to be on the other side. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on today. A topic that we've had it a couple of times, a couple of different angles. This would be maybe the first one we've done with creativity and decision making at the youth level. You know, a lot of times we look at decision making from elite senior level players, and we're going to touch on some older age groups, but we're going to spend our time talking specifically at the youth level and talking about environments. And I'm really, really excited about this conversation. This is the way I look at our current landscape. We've got more coaches, plug for the book detail, right about this, the first chapter, more coaches than ever before, more programs that they're delivering coach education than ever before, better research, better evidence-based work. We should have better coaches, but it seems like we don't. And it seems like players are actually not getting worse because I look at, I do spend some time looking at, at young players and the technical level is is way beyond where it was 10, 15 years ago, in my opinion. But also, in my opinion, struggle for creativity. So do you agree that we've improved in one area, but in the area of creativity and decision-making, we're still seriously lacking? Yeah, it's interesting that you see something on social media and you think that's awesome, that's great. I'm sure every coach is doing that. And then you see the complete opposite end where they're dribbling against a wall. And, you know, I saw one recently in the doing some taps on the ball and then run to the wall to try and defend it. And I'm thinking, you know, this is still happening. And I said to a coach recently, there's no excuses anymore. Um, I think young people are really good at telling you what they want. And it's, it's out there, isn't it? You know, if you want to be the best grassroots coach in the world and you want to learn, you've got books, you've got podcasts, you've got all the resources to be the best grassroots coach or to be the best coach in the world for yourself. So there's no excuses anymore. But yeah, I see one good thing and then I see two bad things and I think, ah, oh, maybe there's still a long way to go. Hmm. Why, why do you think that is? Do you think it's an attitude to change? Because that coach that set, that set that session up that you're talking about, I saw something similar and it might have been the same thing because I didn't watch the whole thing. And it was kids that were getting ready to defend against the wall and it was body shape. 
move, move right side, left. Oh, it was. But but what what intrigues me is that the coach that set that up has obviously done that for 10, 15 years. And what, why do you think that coach is is resistant to change? Because like they know, they know that that's not modern practice anymore. Um, I think it depends on what you measure. So if you measure the result on the weekend and they're winning every weekend and they've won the majority of the weekends for the past 15 years, that coach is probably thinking something's working and I must be doing something right. And then the flip side to it is we probably know that grassroots coaches are some of the least supported individuals in the world. So actually, he might not know any different. You only know what you know. So no one might, no one said to him, maybe, have you looked at this or have you tried this? So there's that flip side of if you only measure what you measure, which is maybe a result or whatever it might be. And then the other side of, well, if that's all you know and no one's ever shared any feedback or you've never asked the players or you've never gone to another sport or never watched another coach, you're going to be thinking, I must be doing the right thing. So I'm going to keep doing it. That's interesting because just thinking there of the measurement, yeah, it could be the result on a Saturday. It could also be player development. He, he might have played a part in coaching a player who made it to a youth national team, professional college team, who, who was a really good defender and then associated that specific exercise with that player getting better at it. Absolutely. Um, but it's interesting isn't it? because you never see the same tackle twice in a row or you never see the same type of tackle twice in a row. Um, so, yeah, that video, and we'll probably share it, won't we, as the podcast goes out. But, um, yeah, it did get me thinking. God, I hope I don't know the person. I'll go looking for it. I hope it's not like, oh, I have to my friends. <laughs> uh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, yeah, something that I'm observing with, with youth coaching is that because there's so much content out today and, and so, so many people are sharing so much work, um, a lot of it is professional level, and I and I I share like the stuff on my YouTube and and stuff on the website. It's all senior soccer, so I understand why this happens. Do you think that we maybe because it's senior work, and you you talked a little bit about Aston Villa coming over in the next couple of days, and people will be observing that. And does that have a, a almost an adverse effect maybe on the development if it's the collective, you know, shape, pressing, build? These are collective concepts. But when we're going to scale back development and we're going to scale back experiences, they need to be more individual, don't they? Yeah, I think there's a copy and paste culture. And I think there's probably a bit of a laziness culture in a way that we know coaches are short of time. And if you're a part-time coach, you've got a day job, so you're always going to be short of time. Or if you're a full-time coach, you're always being pulled in different directions. So I think there's probably a, a laziness in terms of um, okay, well, this is what one team are doing at the adult level, and then saying, okay, that's going to work exactly for me. But actually, the dots in the middle are what's the context, what's the time in the season, what are these players doing? So, you would see a lot of um, senior level Premier League sort of players probably do unopposed practice. Um, one, because there's a game model, um, and two, maybe more importantly, they're not always going to play games because of the physical aspect, because they've got a game on a Thursday and then a Sunday. So they're not always going to play games because of that physical load. So just because they don't play games doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it at the, at the youth level. So I think there's a real context behind what a lot of senior teams do because of the, 
the GPS tracking because of all that constraints that they have. Um, and as much as the adult game is the same game the kids play, actually it's two different games altogether, isn't it? Um, the adult game is definitely not the youth game and the youth game isn't the adult game. Um, there's a space between it. And I feel as youth coaches, we're often racing to the 11 v 11 game or racing to take the years away from a young player. But what's the rush? You know, there is no rush at all. Um, we look at the kids that are making a debut at 16, 17 in a first team. But then actually there's people like Jeremy Vardy. There's people like Ian Wright that have progressed a little bit later. So I don't know what the rush is to get these kids that are 10, 11, 12 playing this 11 v 11 adult-like game. So I feel like we adult-fy uh, the youth sport quite a bit. Very interesting. I I wonder if we do that to the environment as well, to where it's, you know, because we're trying to, yeah, create sessions and and you mentioned science at the highest level. And I, yeah, like in my experiences at the senior level, science probably dictates 75 to 80% of uh, exercises, low, everything is dictated by load management almost because of the game schedules. But I wonder if that then filters down to the, the lower or the younger levels to where, you know, you've seen now structured warm-ups, you see cool-downs, you see uh, ready, readiness apps that are now being distributed and, and almost, and, and I'm letting no one figure for analysis to me, but sitting a group of 10-year-olds down in a room and, and look, treating it like a classroom, I'm not sure whether that's going to lend itself to enjoyment of the game, uh, freedom of expression, creativity, decision-making, all the concepts that we badly need at that youth level. I also feel coaches change their behaviour and interactions depending on the environment they're working in. So you might take a really cool, awesome grassroots coach that plays games all the time and suddenly you put them in this branded kit and you take them to an academy in brackets and they feel like they have to coach in a certain way because it says elite or it says academy or it says performance. And when those words are attached to youth sport, we think, okay, we can't go and play games. The kids have got to be super structured. They've got to be in lines when they do this. It's got to look super clean, whereas actually learning probably doesn't happen that way. And kids probably don't really want to learn that way either. Um, so I think coaches change their behavior and interactions depending on the environment they're working in as well. Yeah, you assume a role. I I could see that. You assume a role of trying to, I think, well, I've definitely been, you know, you put you put a certain hat on at a certain environment and because that's what maybe your, your, your role is. Maybe that they pick the wrong hat in the morning and it's, you know, they pick a, a senior hat maybe instead of a, a fun, goofy hat that they might need that day just to get a bit more energy and a bit of excitement because that can offset something a little bit different and I think that's the thing where if it's if the if the environment is too stale and mundane at a senior level it's fine they're used to it they've heard every jargon you know that's they it's their job these guys don't run around laughing and clapping all day but you put that to a younger level and then if you fail to inject a bit of enthusiasm that could have real serious effects on players relationship with the game I think kids are better at it now than ever before in that car journey home. They probably say to mum and dad, that was, I didn't enjoy tonight. That was really rubbish or I got cold or we didn't, I didn't touch the ball very often. And if that sends alarm bells ringing to a parent 
nowadays because enjoyment is crucial in sport and particularly post-COVID where there's all the stuff around engagement and activity and physical activity. If your son or daughter comes and says that to you in the car, you're probably going to be thinking about doing a different sport. Um, and no kid should ever go into the car saying, I never touched the ball enough or I felt cold tonight or that was really boring. Um, I think it's Mick Beal, isn't it, that speaks around how quickly they run from the car to the session is probably the best indicator of how good your session is or how exciting your environment is. If they're always five minutes late or they're really slow from the car to your session, that's a good indicator. Um, so I think that's a really you know, thoughtful thing for coaches to think about. Yeah, very, very good. Bring, bring us along along uh, very, very nicely here that this model, and, and we're going to get into it with, with your expertise around moving traditional session design and top-down leadership style to where today the world is different. You know, we want to give these young players an experience. We want to teach decision-making. How do we, what are the first steps that you would, challenge if, if a club brought you in tomorrow and said all right take a look at what we do we struggle with players that are going to make decisions and we want to do this what's the first place that you would look or what's the first thing you would challenge uh, i'd ask them what's the smallest thing that would make the biggest difference um which is often not the most expensive thing so everyone thinks when you have to go and consult or you have to go and influence it always costs money whereas i think it's probably the opposite sometimes so what's the smallest thing that will make the biggest difference would be one question i'd ask them and then I'd look at training and think, does training look and feel like the game? So ultimately, players come to training to play the game. It's why you continue to play, Gary, because you want to play the game of soccer and, and football. So do they play the game enough? Um, what's the balance of coach talk to player talk? Um, if the players are not talking as much and the coach is talking the most, that means players aren't communicating because someone else is doing the talking for them. Um, also means they're not making any decisions because the coach is making those decisions for them. So does training look and feel like the game? Um, and how much are players playing? So to me, I, my natural bias would be to say, the more you play games, the better decision makers you're going to get because ultimately you're preparing players to play the game. So if you never play the game in training, I believe you're never going to prepare them to play the game because the game is is play. Um, so that balance of, okay, well, let's play a game, but actually let's get something out of it. And then the comment might come back, Gary, well, you can't get technical practice out of a game. Um, or if they're playing, they're not always learning. Um, and I think there's some smart stuff you can do around that as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah. the Because a lot of players or a lot of coaches would say, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely the game is the teacher. But then what you're saying there is there's a difference between you know, playing a going out and playing save sixteen players. You play eight v eight, then you're playing the game. But the, the coach is stepping in every two minutes or every time a mistake is made. It's not really the game. That it's not the players' game. It's the coach's game. So it's is it then fighting the urge to do that and managing that, or is it changing constraints around the game, or what are some ways to fight that? Yeah, I believe a mistake is only something you make three times or more. So it's amazing how many coaches you'd see shout at a player and say, you should have done X mm. when it was the first time they did it. If they do it four or five times, okay, it maybe is a mistake. Um, but if they're doing it once, it's probably not a mistake. Um, 
because it might just be a wrong technical execution. They might have made that wrong decision once. So the first thing I'd say to the coaches is just watch a player. You know, just watch the game, stand in different positions, go and stand next door to the goal, go and referee in the middle of the pitch, go and stand with player X and player Y and see the game from different angles. Um, and just hold that urge to, to shout. Um, and easy way to do it would be to say, okay, we're going to play for four minutes and then we'll have a discussion. So then you might say, okay, we'll play for four minutes. We're going to talk for two minutes and then we're going to go again. So you might just constrain yourself and say, this is how long we're going to play for. And I'm not going to say anything for the four minutes. And then we're going to have a discussion and then we'll go back into it. Um, might be one option. And something else I always ask or say to coaches is what is the game asking players? So if I was to rock up to a session in the middle of America, in the middle of Australia, England, wherever it might be on a, at an evening, and I watched a game at training, I should know what the focus is. So if the focus is passing, I should see lots of passing. If the focus is pressing, I should see lots, lots of pressing because of the constraints, because of the challenges and the skill of the coach has added in um, as, as they go. That's a really interesting uh, one there, constraining yourself. So, because we do spend, you know, and I think we're all guilty of this. I definitely am of like, you're looking at, at the session, the session, the session, but your behaviours within the session are ultimately, I suppose the, the younger the age group, the bigger that's going to impact, right? If, if you're, you might have to plan how you're going to not coach. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, plan for action and interaction. So plan what you're going to say. Plan what questions you're going to ask. Or, you know, football academies are really good. So Middlesbrough would be a prime example where every session they spotlight two or three players that a coach would work really hard to focus on. The coach might not tell them they're the three players they're really focusing on. But as a coach, you've set yourself the focus of these three players today, we want to get X out of them. This is where we expect them to be. This is what we want them to get out of the session. Um, so planning for action, but planning for your interaction as well. So I know a coach and he plans his behaviour. So they might come off of a weekend where they've lost a game. So he's naturally going to be a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more playful and uh, a bit more exciting in, in what he does compared to they've just won a game 7-0 um, with the under-18s. He's probably not going to be as playful and as exciting because he wants a different outcome. He wants to keep their feet on the ground. He wants them to focus on X, Y, Z. So the influence of a coach makes or breaks a session, but also makes or breaks a player. Yeah, because because that that's a, that's a big big thing. Whenever you're coming into an environment and and you're not aware of your behaviour in how that's going to offset, because ultimately, like it's like a classroom. Even when you were younger, and it, it, you're looking at. First thing you look at as a kid is see what mood the teacher's in, <laughs> to see what kind of day it's going to be. Um, because the emotion of a session, sometimes a managing a session is quite difficult. So sometimes when you're sitting with a coffee at lunchtime or in the morning and you're planning your session, I'm going to do this and my interactions here. How does a coach help hold themselves accountable or help themselves during that session? If it's, you know, sometimes it can run away with you emotionally as well. There's little things. So I think there's two things. If you work with another coach, that's a great resource. Because if me and you are coaching together, Gary, I might say, Gary, today I really want to focus on not talking much. I want to really just talk for one minute. So if I go over that, just give me a nudge on the shoulder. So if you're working with another coach, that's a great way. And 
if you're going to have a coffee or a beer after the session, that's a great time to say, what did I do? Can you give me some feedback on that? And being open to that as well. I think the players and the game are also two bits of feedback and resources that cost absolutely nothing. So if you coach on your own, watching your game as your players play the game is great feedback. Because if you're not seeing what you see or want to see or need to see, that's probably a reflection on the environment and, and you as a coach and the, the session that you've put on. But if you're seeing really quiet players that maybe aren't communicating or not adapting, you're thinking, well, I need to do something about that. So the players in the game are two resources that you can help um, kind of give that back to you. And the other thing would be tell the players. So, you know, I'm, I would write down three things over the next 90 days or next you know, six weeks that I really want to focus on. And I might share that with the players. And I want the players to call me up on that. So if I ask a really rubbish question, which they only can only answer one word to, I know I haven't asked enough feedback or I haven't asked a good enough question. If I come at the end of the session and say, did you play enough today? Or did you feel like you physically got enough out of it? And they say, no, we probably should have played for longer. That's feedback for me. So telling and asking the players what your focuses is, focuses are, um, I think it's really important. And I'd encourage every coach just to write down one or two things they want to focus on. Hello, coaches. We'll take a quick break here. Jack has kindly sponsored this episode of Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. And we're going to take this opportunity to allow you to find out a little bit more about the coaching lab. When are we going to play a game is the most asked question for any youth coach but not anymore. The coaching lab has designed over a hundred team and player cards to add to your training games. You can add them to small sided games, share them with parents, set player targets. Match play cards are used by coaches from grassroots to the world's best at West Ham, Liverpool, Rangers FC academies. You'll be a game changer with match play cards. Check them out www.thecoachinglab.org and social channels at the under slash coaching lab please check it out the coaching lab.org brilliant brilliant initiative and well worth looking at if you enjoy this interview all right back to jack something that's really fascinating me and especially at the senior level when you're you're trying to get your processes across to get as much as much out of as little time as possible almost i feel like senior environments are about that but then again that's not what youth environments are sometimes about so if we're talking decision-making and we're talking about players taking responsibility for decisions and thinking more, do you think it's detrimental for a coach to bring everyone in in the first five minutes and tell everyone what the focus of that session is going to be? Because that will ultimately dictate the questions at the end of the session when he says, what did we learn today? Or she said, what did we learn today? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I think there's two ways, isn't there? So, so sometimes you might set up a game at the start of the session, but you don't tell players what the focus of the session is. But you might say you earn a bonus point every time uh, you win the ball in the attacking half. So naturally, they, they're going to press the ball a little bit more. So you might just let them play that and then after explore well what do you get out of that what are you trying to do and they would then respond pressing and really trying to you know play high man to man sort of stuff so then you say bingo perfect that's the session so you haven't told them what the session is they've explored 
what the session is by you playing the game. And then I guess the flip side is you can use the role models and um, the game as a, as a tool to say, okay, today's focus is X. And particularly at the youth level, they know FIFA and they know the Premier League inside out better than some of the, you know, the players in the Premier League probably sometimes. So you might even frame it as today we are looking to play like Liverpool or we're looking to play like that Barcelona approach. So you're not necessarily saying this is how it has to be done, but you're giving them an idea of what that session will look like. So you're not saying this is the solution to the problem. You're saying this is what the focus is going to look at and have a think about how Barcelona play in possession. Have a think about how Liverpool press to win the ball. And instantly they're going to be thinking, okay, this is what Klopp does or this is what this, these guys do. So there's two ways. You can either not tell them or you can tell them. And I guess the impact's different either way and the skill of the coach is to then reflect, well, when I didn't tell them, this is what I saw. But when I did tell them what the focus was, this is what I also saw. Very interesting. I, I always struggle with, the, with that question and aspect, like ask better questions because maybe it's the time that you're under, maybe it's the, it's the confidence of trying to get someone away from open up and actually tell you what you know what they think. Sometimes hard in a group setting because people don't want to be judged in front of their peers. Uh, I always find as well, maybe that's just me trying to make excuses of why I was so bad at it. What are some ways coaches can ask and get better at asking questions? Um, yeah, naturally, I'm probably going to say the reflection match play cards yeah. that we made. And um, <laughs> we kind of made 50, 50 odd open questions because we know it's hard for coaches to connect in that respect. Um, so questions that, that get players to think about their past experiences. Um, questions might be, you might go in defence, midfield and attack. So you get them in their positions and they're having conversations as small groups. The biggest misconception with reflection and feedback and asking good questions is you have to have the answer or you have to feedback the answer to the group. Actually, if you ask a good enough question, the conversations within those groups are going to be about that question. And sometimes you don't need to ask that back. Their answers are going to be in how they play the game. It might also be peer-to-peer. So you might do that as a peer-to-peer on the same team in training or it might even be peer-to-peer with the, with the opposition. So you're playing in the centre of one team and I'm playing in the centre of the other and we're matching up against each other. I might go and have peer-to-peer conversation and reflection with you. Um, and I guess the other way conversation might be, we don't always have to verbally say it. It might be that if you have got a, a whiteboard and a coaching board, you write down some of those responses. So as players that aren't very confident to speak out, they might be more confident to speak, uh, to write it down, sorry. And I think of coaches working in foreign countries that they're not from that country. So there's a bit of a language barrier or, or cultural barrier. That's a great way to break it down, to write down those responses or get somebody else to share them for you. Brilliant. Again, brings us along nicely. Uh, the coaching lab, you know, tell us a, a little bit about it. And, and obviously then I want to know what the inspiration was around that as well. Yes, we, we started four years ago um, with two aims. One, that we want coaches to play more games. So we never want a player to ask, when are we going to play a game? Actually, we want them to ask, what game are we going to play? And we know that if coaches can get to that position where players are asking, what game are we going to play? Rather than, can we play a game? That's an awesome position for a coach to be in. 
we know some of the coaching challenges are around time constraints, having the resources to ask questions. So we wanted to create a set of cards to really break down those barriers and connect coaches with the game, the player and the environment, um, which is often stuff that we always talk about, but never really deliver. So I'm a games-based coach, but then how do I deliver games more often? So we wanted to create resources around that and support players and coaches to do that. So yeah, we started four years ago and we've helped grassroots coaches in all different sports, um, in soccer, hockey, handball, basketball, um, from the grassroots level to the some of the world's best in, in a few different sports. And um, yeah, it's been a great journey and continues to be. And where did the inspiration come from? It started at, with a university dissertation that we did at a Category 1 football academy around how do coaches integrate psychological skills. And in normal words, that's how do they develop confidence? How do they develop adaptability? How do they develop communication? Um, Communitive players, collective effort, how do they develop that and what does that look like? And they were really good at it. But how do you take 15,000 words of study and make that useful to a grassroots coach or somebody working in an academy environment or in an adult setting and coaching cards and, and playing cards was that easy solution. It's something you can give to the players, it's something you can put in your bag when you go to training um, and hopefully breaks down some of those barriers. You've had a, a, a massive, massive impact in those environments and I, I can I can tell that the coaches that are with Russell Earnshaw and oh, like a must rugby, good rugby guy a few years ago and, and he was talking about breaking the rules of coaching almost, challenging yourself to do things a little bit differently. And I love that. Like, I love people thinking outside the box. So let's say that we have a set of your cards and, uh, you know, I, I have them in my pocket and I roll up and park the car, bag, bag of balls, cones. What do I do with these cards? Yeah, good question. So let's say the session focus is on passing. So this is what the session is. And it's important that you work backwards from the game. So the focus is passing. The game is is this. And we might set up a 6v4 so there's more players on one team that you can pass to. And that's fine. So you're playing your game. But it might be now that I see Gary struggling a little bit here. So I might give him an individual challenge that he's going to play in the game. So he's actually playing almost a game within a game. So every pass Gary makes is worth two. Or if he can eliminate a player and then pass in the attacking half, he's getting a bonus point. So I might give some individual challenges and I might give a challenge to a player to stretch them, so to challenge them, or it might be the other end where I need to support them. Um, I might also add some team challenges. So you never go into a game knowing exactly what the opposition are going to do, but how often in training do you give everybody the same challenge and everybody knows exactly what's going on probably most of the time. So it might be, Gary, your team's got one team challenge and my team's got another. Um, so yours might be uh, the value of the goal is the amount of passes you make, whereas my ch challenge might be every tackle we make, we get a bonus point. But I'm not going to tell you what the opposition have got. So if we're just winning the ball all the time, there might be then the coaches coming in saying, well, what challenge card have you got? And what challenge card have you got? Or what have you recognised? in the opposition. So some challenges around teams or also those individuals. Yeah, one, one thing when I was reading about it, one thing I loved is that I often think that, and, and we're coming up to pre-season for a lot of teams here in the minute, um, especially here in the, in the US and, and England, what you're doing is, is helping drive more conversations as well. 
and drive more player to player conversations, which helps team spirit. People talk, and I, and I get quite a few emails about like, well, how do I improve communication? But people want an answer that's in a almost like compartmentalize team spirit and say, all right, well, we'll go to a bowling or we'll go to ropes course. What you're doing is providing solutions to something with within the context of the game, right? Mm. So let, let's take communication for an example. It might be that I give a team challenge to one team where they can't communicate. So I'm naturally give, pushing one team down for the other team to have that confidence and space to talk. It might also be that I only give a card to one player and that's the only player that can talk on that team. And I might be smart and give that to the player that I think needs to develop their communication. It might be that I give a team challenge um, to one player. And naturally, as coaches, we always give the information and the challenge to a, the loudest player or the captain. But actually, I might give it to you, Gary, because you're a little bit quieter on your team. But then I've given you that challenge. You, need, you now need to share that with the rest of the group and the rest of your team. So it's just connecting those dots that, okay, I've given you a challenge. You've now got to go and tell the rest of the group. That wouldn't have happened um, otherwise. And and is there a space to work in different contexts as well? Like, is there a team meetings or is there a player meetings? Is there things outside the practice? Yeah, so let's take the reflection cards, all those conversation starters. So we know that the Australian rugby team, we're using them in the gym. Um, so they would just leave them around in the gym um, and players would just pick up the card and just have a conversation. So it's who was the creative player, who was the most creative player you played against? Or who was the toughest opponent? Or what did you, what have you noticed from your surroundings that will influence your decision-making? Or set two challenges for yourself for the coming week. So just leaving cards in certain areas or um, at the breakfast table on a pre-season tour, just leaving them in certain areas. I know some of the academies in England give them to the kids to take home in the car journey. So they might say to mum and dad, this is what the coach has given me. This is what's related to my individual development plan. Or here's a conversation starter um, based on what we've learned today. It's so simple, but it's <laughs> it's not actually because, again, when you're in environments every day, you know, you and I, I've been so guilty of this. You, when you're in daily environments, you you've seen it's very easy to have the same conversations all the time. Morning, how are you? Good. How's your family? Good. And but what you're trying to do there, or what, or what you're actually help doing, is almost like improving conversations and and almost like that part. I love that development piece where even like connecting that there to a young player who so much of player development, I think, is we think is powerpoints and hour-long meetings and all this, but that's just something so quick that can just almost move them or make them think and get them even present in what they're doing. And it might be when they arrive at a session, they have to pick up a card and they just have to answer it and they just have to talk about it. Um, or you might lay all the team and player challenges down and when they arrive at the session, they've got to choose a card that relates to, to their super strength that they, they know they're really good at. Or it might be they need to choose a card for a, a teammate. So it's just creating those opportunities to have more conversations, but have conversations about the important stuff around the game, around the players and around the environment. A word that I really liked um, that I picked up on your website was adaptive. And talk to me a little bit 
about what an adaptive young player the goal is basically the outcome goal of what what you want from being adaptive or, or what that looks like yeah you're only as good as the problems you set aren't you so if you never set any problems you're never really going to go beyond that so we want coaches to be problem setters and maybe not problem solvers as much so often as adults we would do all the problem solving for the players whereas we want the players to be adaptive to solve those problems so I'm an Arsenal fan and it's a really painful experience because often the second half is better than the first half because they have to wait till half time for the coach to say have you noticed this and this is what we need to do whereas actually the most adaptive the most skillful decision making players recognize what the opposition are doing they also recognize what their own team are doing and then have influence and they adapt and they change and it, Adaptable to me is just having solutions to problems. So if they see this, because they've seen it in training before and because they've experienced it in training, they know what a solution or solutions might be to that. Um, so we did some work with one organization at, at the top level and they said to us, our players aren't adaptable enough. And we looked at it and a kid might come in at 15 and might play the same five-a-side game of football for 10 years from the 15, 16, 17s, all the way through to senior level, they might play the same game of five-a-side when they go on training camp and never be set any challenges, never have to play a 6v5 or different stuff like this. And, and then you look at it and you think, okay, well, let's add a team challenge in. Let's add some player challenges in. Let's change the location of a goal, the pitch size, and all this sort of stuff. And suddenly you're being more adaptable because they're forcing you to adapt to what you go to. Um, but like I said, you're only as good as the problems you set. Yeah, love that. Love that. Uh, Brent Rogers, brilliant quote he has about the challenge with coaching is that he gets older, the players stay the same age range, and this gap quarterly increases. So the challenge is how do you keep this relevancy or keep this, how to connect with the young player? Have, have you seen... Or have you seen benefits with what you're doing with the, the relationship between the coach and the player and those conversations? Yeah, I asked um, Phil Shedd at, at Middlesbrough, who's the head of coaching, the same question because they use the cards across the programmes. And he said, well, there's now an ability to engage with players that there probably wasn't as much of previously. So naturally, the only way you could engage, or not the only way, but one of the only ways would be to just have a conversation, would just be to talk face to face. But actually now I'm giving you some choice because I might say, can you choose a couple of cards today that relate to how you want to play? Or here's a challenge that I want to set you. So there's more ways to engage. And we know that choice and challenge are probably the two biggest motivators in young people. If you give them some choice and you give them some challenge, that's a really good place to be. Um, so it might be... Our, I might be smart and choose cards that relate to a certain focus, but give players the choice. So they think it's a total blind pick, but actually I've just chosen cards that relate to them. But that choice would not have been available um, if the cards weren't there as well. And I'm a, I'm a massive dyslexic. So I used to really struggle when a coach just used to talk to me. And I thought, okay, I might have got the first bit and probably got the last bit, but I don't remember what he said in the middle. Whereas now, because it's a physical plastic card, I can see it, I can feel it, I can touch it. So I can engage with the learning and the game very differently um, to what, how I would have done previously and, and how other players would have done. 
that's very interesting. I would have thought that would be the opposite. I would have thought a card would have been tough for a dyslexic person. Uh, when you're dyslexic and you're making a, a set of cards, you make it with pretty simple language. Um, <laughs> so, so there's no there's no big words and yeah. there's no big sentences. It's literally less than ten words. You know, so I've got one here and it, it says pressure in big capital letters. That tells you pretty much the cards around pressure and it's score within 45 seconds of scoring your last goal and it's worth triple. You know, anybody can read that. Um, so it's not made with big language. It's not made with complicated stuff because the game doesn't need to be. It needs to be able to, the cards need to be able to engage with somebody that's seven, but also someone that's, you know, 45 that's playing senior football or 25 playing senior football. You know, so it has to engage with them. How old? Yeah, senior football. Like, is there senior teams using this? Like, a, a, a silly question, but like, what's the oldest age range? Like, does it work for those teams as well? Ultimately, everyone wants to play games, right? Whether you're, you're 10 years old, you want to play a game when you go to training. If you're 75 and you're playing in the vets and you're playing walking football, you want to play a game or you're playing at the at an academy level, you want to play game. Uh, and that's consistent through the whole board. So there's no age barrier to the cards at all because the game that we play at the youngest level and the game we play at the oldest level, the principles are the same. And why people come to training and their motivations to come to training are almost identical at every level. They want to play and they want to get better and they want to connect with their teammates. Um, you know, I would, I wouldn't, I would believe that's consistent at every level of the game. I, one of the questions at the start, we said we come back to it, was about, you know, how to, how to almost at the end of a session and prompt questions and that. They're like, what, what, what does it look like when a coach wraps up the session? And the coach wants to kind of get a sense of closure or, or to even uh, realize whether they achieve their objectives. Yeah, so I guess there's a couple of things um one is a big misconception that you've got to have five thousand different games to get feedback or to, to deliver was actually i know at rangers when they use the cards in the foundation phase they might use the same card every couple of weeks so actually the feedback is well week two we did this and then week three or four how does it compare so actually doing the same game multiple times with the same cards and the same challenges helps that review process Whereas if it's different every single week, it challenges the players to come up with different answers, but you've got something to compare to if you're using something consistently um, to go forward. And the other flip side might be, I get players to write down some responses, like I said, on the board. It might also be that I just share a, a question with the rest of the group. So um, I've got one here that says, what three words would a spine opposition team say around that performance? And it's just two, three minutes. And it's something I took from Arsenal and, and Paul Barry, who was using the cards. And I said, how do you use them in your, in your session? He goes, well, I plan them into the session and I plan reflection. So often reflection would be something you do if you've got a bit of spare time at the end, once the equipment's away. But like we said earlier, plan for the interaction and the action. So plan reflection into your breaks. So are you going to have reflect and debrief the session peer to peer? Are you going to do it as a collective? Are you going to do it as defence, midfield and attack? Um, how are you going to deliver your reflection and really build that into your session? Brilliant. Brilliant. 
Um, you said before we start recording about the, the clubs that are using it. You you haven't gone out there and said, hey, use this and we'll, we'll stick it up on the website. You basically found out that they were using it. Yeah, West Ham would be the latest one that we found out. Um, so, yeah, we haven't given anything away to, to any of these clubs at Arsenal and Crystal Palace and Watford and Rangers and all these sorts of coaches that um, often find out around social media. Um, often find out maybe when someone makes an order that the email address is this person at this email address. You know, I didn't know that at the time. Um, it might be for a friend of a friend sort of thing. So someone recently said, yeah, I heard West Ham were using them in the foundation phase. And I said, oh, I don't even know who's using them at West Ham. And a bit more digging, I worked out who was using them, picked up the phone. And, you know, we had an hour's conversation around the impact of them. So a lot of the stuff is through referral or through connections. Um, and Middlesbrough would have been through that. So it would have been for a, a part-time coach working in the foundation phase to then get to the head of the academy and then influence it across the whole board. So, um, yeah, it's been really organic. Um, and I guess the consistent thing is that games are at the at the centre, but also player development is at the centre. We spoke a little bit about, before we start recording, about just the, the Western Hemisphere's attitude towards coaching. And it's intriguing. Everyone talks about the All Blacks, obviously, about the book and the, the culture piece. But I think Australian rugby intrigues a lot of people as well. And like, what's your experiences and the differences culturally between youth environments between UK and, and Australia? Uh, it's interesting isn't it? because they're both islands, um, you know, so there's no neighbouring countries to, to kind of influence that. Um, I, I found Australia pretty closed. Um, and maybe that's because a lot of people have never left Australia. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's, is what it is, right? Like, you know, um, but a lot of people have, have never left it and never really seen a Pete Sturgis. To me, Pete Sturgis is the, is the god of, of probably youth sport um, in terms of some of the stuff that he does in the foundation phase with the FA. So some people don't even know who this guy is in Australia. And I'm there rocking up to a session and, you know, they've got 5,000 different cones and players are dribbling around all of them. And I'm thinking... Guys, if you want to develop, and you tell me you want to develop a creative, adaptive, skillful, all this sort of buzzword player, that's probably not how you want to train. Um, so I, I probably found a lot of it quite closed. And, and naturally, Australians would think they may be doing it the right way. Um, and often there's no competition, right? So in Australia, there's, there's only a limited amount of of clubs, whereas in the UK there's 92, 93 professional clubs, probably 75, 80% upwards have all got academies. So there's competition to do stuff better. So if we're doing one thing and then you see somebody else is doing something better, you want to do better. But in Australia, there maybe isn't that internal competition um, to think, okay, well, if they're doing this, we should probably think differently as well. It's fascinating because I, I always thought, you know, like I always thought they were the the leaders in particularly science. I know a lot of sports science people have, have talked about the impact of of Australia, and I always thought then it was again from a from a cultural standpoint. I always thought that they're I don't know how to frame this. They were really communicative in their environments because, and maybe that's just the the packaging, the TV side as well. Like the, when Mike and they make teams up and stuff down there, I'm like wow. It's different, you know, but 
it's like uh, it's like what we said earlier. I think um, around that play and around the environment that you then go and work in. So the backyard sports is massive over here, whether it's backyard cricket or backyard football or soccer, whatever it might be. So the kids play a lot, but then they go to a club or they go to a, an academy, an elite academy in brackets, and they don't play as much. So sometimes kids are better just playing at home than they are going to an academy. So it's interesting that because a coach is working in a certain environment or has a certain name, I think it influences how they coach. But I think outside of that, the kids play loads. They go to the park, they go and play in the backyard against their brothers and sisters and all this sort of stuff. So I think they play the game a lot, but not enough because they then go to a club and they go to an academy and they stop playing because of that adultification of, of the sport. Um, so I think, like I would say, if the smallest thing that makes the biggest difference, the kids just need to play more. Brilliant, brilliant. I'm sure there's a lot of coaches that'll be that'll be listening and watching and saying, "All right, this is this is something different. It's something I'd like to add and challenge myself with and add to my relationship." If I was if I was a college coach and I was starting preseason in two three weeks time, this is something I would do because it would suit and allow me to almost challenge those daily conversations and add a little bit of variety in that day-to-day life that can become, we love to say it's a grind, you know, embrace the grind. But in reality, it's like you can't embrace boring uh, day-to-day life. Uh, you know, you have, to, you have to give it a spark every now and again. What, what's the next steps? Well, where can people get you? What can people, what, what would be the first thing that you would recommend people do? Yeah, so if you head to uh, www.thecoachinglab.org um, and explore the range, we've got three different products on there. And wherever you are in the world, we can get them to you. I think we ship to 42 different countries at the moment. So wherever you are, we can get them to you. That's not an issue. Um, across social media at the underscore coaching lab, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that sort of stuff. Um, and if you want to drop me an email and learn a little bit more, just um, info at thecoachinglab.org and always have to pick up a phone call and a Zoom call and chat and answer questions and share some ideas once you get some cards to how you can get the most out of them in your sessions. Brilliant. Jack, first class. Loved it. Thanks so much. Gary, thanks very much for your time. No, let's do it again. Let's do it again. I I love a good youth topic. What I enjoy about it, it's so solution-based. It's like, this is what we're trying to solve. This is why we're trying to, and it's, it does help the coach. It does lead the coach in the situations that, that yeah, can, can almost like prevent you from drifting down or what you were doing 20 years ago or even five years ago. I love it. Yeah. And the last thing I'd say is kind of measure smiles. Um, if you measure smiles in the, in a session at youth level, I think that's a great form of feedback. How many kids keep coming back to your session is also great. And lastly, just play more games. It's what kids come to training to do. Um, so just play more games. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.